0: Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist the blogcast. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Thank you for being here to listen to episode 261. And if this sounds a little bit different than usual, it is because I am on a different mic in a different place with some uh difficulties in Uh,
1: conditions.
0: (laughs) So this is my portable mic. I am out at a friend's place. And uh, they had 40 inches of water in their basement from all the storms, or one of the storms or anyway. And so the the folks are here to like, extract the water, but they're not doing it with like buckets, the way that I would do it, which is I mean, good thing because it's forty inches of water. Anyway, it's like a whole process, and uh, the place in this house that I would normally record is right above where they're working. So this whole podcast would be like you'd have. You'd, well, it would be many of us, really. You would hear. So I'm I'm in a closet, at the moment, and uh, it's you know it's just going to be a different sound quality for episode 261 and uh, we'll, we'll see about adjusting it for the future and now there's like a buzzing or a humming that's coming from somewhere it's not a refrigerator it sounds like a refrigerator but I'm pretty sure it's not because I am nowhere near a refrigerator right this second uh, anyway hope you like buzzing <laughs> I hope it will stop Soon, but I literally have no, I don't know where else to try at this point. And um, I want to try and get this blogcast out before midnight, and, and I'm pushing it here already because I was kind of waiting for the water people to finish. And of course, it's a big job, so of course, they're not done. Anyway, I am here for a blogcast, and today's blogcast is basically the review of a book that turned into a blog. Uh, I read uh, a book called Fleischman is in Trouble, and I started to write a little Goodreads synopsis, not synopsis, review for Goodreads, on which I sometimes will summarize my experiences of books, and uh, it turned into a blog post. So I, uh, I put it in both places, or rather I put a link... To the blog in the Goodreads review um, because it's you know it's much longer than a than a Goodreads review you know like the ideal Goodreads review it is it is much longer than that but not like it's super long like don't worry you're not settled in here for a, it's a pretty average blogcast length I think. Uh, But, you know, for like a book review, you know, it's like a few lines generally or like a paragraph. Maybe this is longer than that. Anyway, I uh, I shall read it to you. It is called Trixie Feminists. In college, we made a show called Roar, the women's thing, live girls on stage, which I started thinking about after reading Fleischman is in Trouble. I was just going to write a quick little review of Fleischman is in Trouble for Goodreads, but then I started thinking of that show and what we were trying to do with it, which was going to need some explaining. And then I started thinking more about the novel, which began to make me mad, and voila, blog post. I'll start with this show. I made it during a guest semester I took at a state university. I'd spent three semesters at Sarah Lawrence College, and while my education was aces, I was longing for a social life. So I decided to take a break from my progressive elite education and go to some parties, as well as some classes, sure, in Virginia for a semester. The transition was a kind of a feminist wake-up call. I'd gotten used to a place where feminism was a default position, and I was absolutely shocked by the retrograde patriarchy still in place at this state college. I joined a rebel feminist group, and we decided to make the show, to give the place a real consciousness-raising, because, oh boy, did it need one. We put Live Girls on Stage in the title, because... We were worried about preaching to the choir, and we'd hoped we'd bring in a few frat bros by suggesting we were a burlesque show, rather than a feminist collective. We thought we were pretty clever. We put paper dolls of Barbie dolls on our posters. We thought that we'd change the world with our little feminist variety show. I'm both very proud and very embarrassed by this venture now. I'm bringing it up because of this little live girls trick. Did it work? (laughs) Of course not. Though we did sell out, which was better than most of my subsequent feminist work. But I'm thinking about it because I feel like there's something similar at work in Fleischman is in trouble. I read this book because it was advertised to me on the Guilty Feminist podcast. It was billed as an hilarious feminist novel. That's catnip for me. Of course I was going to read an hilarious feminist novel. You may at this point not be surprised to learn that I found this book to be neither hilarious nor particularly feminist. They live girls on staged me and I fell for it. I don't blame the Guilty Feminist podcast. They need advertising dollars as much as anyone and I can imagine how this happened. Someone on the marketing team thought this book was kind of feminist and Googled all the places they might be able to place some feminist ads and the job was done. But oh, oh, did I feel like a frat boy who thought he'd come for burlesque and got a bunch of show tunes and sketches instead. I'm going to give you some spoilers now, or really a spoiler. One might call it the twist of the book. If you want to skip these next uh, couple minutes to avoid this reveal, please feel free. I think knowing what comes next might actually improve the experience of reading it, but it's up to you. The book begins with the story of a man who is in the process of divorcing, dating, and doctoring. It is a bit how I imagine a Philip Roth or John Updike novel. I've never read either, as I am not at all interested. It's the story of a wealthy man on the Upper East Side of Manhattan who often feels he is not wealthy enough. He describes himself as a hero of a dad and his ex-wife as a useless, soulless, social climber who disappears on him. It's all narrated by his female friend who used to work at a men's magazine, so she's practiced at getting into the heads of men. Then, about three quarters of the way through, The narrator of the book runs into the ex-wife, and we get a sense of the timeline we just experienced from her perspective. Surprise! She's not the monster her husband made her out to be. The book finishes with a kind of alliance between the women and a little rant about how bad marriage and middle age can be for women, and then the narrator takes a taxi back to her husband from New York City to the suburbs of New Jersey. I think this is being marketed as a feminist novel because it tricks us into thinking it's a man's story at the top, and then Trixie, it turns out to be a woman's. And the guy who seemed like a sort of good guy is kind of a dirtbag. Surprise! (laughs) You're not seeing live girls on stage like you thought. It's a consciousness raising. Instead, it's Trixie feminism trying to convert the unconvertible. If those frat boys only knew what it was really like to be a woman, they might not be such sexist pigs. If we get men to read a story about a man, they'll keep reading to learn about a woman's perspective of the same stuff. We'll sneak some women's issues into that Philip Roth novel. We'll raise their consciousnesses without them even knowing Trixie! But the thing is, none of those issues that the women face are dealt with in a particularly feminist way. None of them ever rallies together with other women to make a change. They deal with sexual harassment and discrimination. They deal with sexist and dehumanizing medical treatment and generally struggle with some old-school Simone de Beauvoir second-sex shit. But no one seems to know that feminism exists. It's a weird world without any real social movements. It's a world where someone experiences overt sexism and no one will name it. Feminism isn't just women having lady problems. It's a social movement in which people work together to make our world more equitable. The book had nothing to do with that as far as I could see. For me, the book was mostly largely about rich people on the Upper East Side of Manhattan having a lot of privileged problems. Was it compelling? Sure. It's very well written, so you couldn't ask for better fiction about the ennui of a particular kind of privileged life. If you want to know about the inner lives of women who choose their Pilates classes based on maintaining social ties, look no further. You've found your book. Even the women in this book, in the middle of realizing all the betrayals of sexism and such, never get beyond themselves to even consider attempting to make a change. They don't have a feminist awakening. They don't decide to organize. They don't start to examine their own privilege, not their racial privilege, their economic privilege, not their abled privilege, none of it. If there's any feminism in the book at all, and I'm not convinced there is, it is not intersectional. I keep thinking of the end of the book when the narrator takes a taxi back to her house in New Jersey from New York City. I think it's supposed to be a romantic gesture, but all I can think of is how expensive that taxi ride would be, and yet it's not even a whisper of a thought for this character. Roar, the women's thing, live girls on stage, was a sophomoric feminist show. I was literally a college sophomore when I made it. I'm fairly certain we didn't change anyone's mind and only expressed a bunch of things that were hard for us, mostly white, ladies. It was a little tricksy, but mostly harmless and possibly a fun night out. I feel like Fleischman is in trouble is similar. A little tricksy, mostly harmless, and a fun read. The trouble is the marketing. There were live girls on stage, but they weren't really what I had in mind. I'm about the same age as the characters in this book, so I have a sense of the world they grew up in. I know there was feminism in that world, for example, and it's clear to me that characters that don't have their feminist awakening until their 40s are characters who ignored or rejected feminism in their youth. If you're not discovering sexism until your 40s, you're late, you're very late. I mean, get to the party when you get to the party, but you are very late. But one thing I know about the party from our collective college years is that in some places, the party was already in full swing, had already evolved and was searching for ways to grow. And the party at the other college was just getting into gear. It was in its sophomore stages and needing a jumpstart. When my friend and I would walk into our sociology of women class, that state college, our teacher would say, here come the radicals. And let me just say, as much as I enjoyed that greeting, I was very far from being a radical then. Um, couldn't we do it in a nice way? But I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to take anything away from anyone. I just want a teeny tiny itty bitty bit of equality, please. If it's not too much trouble. Anyway, what I'm saying is that it's all relative. At Sarah Lawrence, I was a pretty run-of-the-mill everyday sort of feminist. At the state college, I was a radical. Maybe, for the characters in Fleischman is in Trouble... This sort of naming of women's issues is radical. It's first stage feminism. It's late to the party feminism. But fine, I guess. One of the only things you're missing by listening to this broadcast instead of reading it is the image of the poster of this, uh, show, which will be, of course, the image on the, on the podcast, but I don't think it's going to give you the, the full image because the, the podcast image, like square is fairly small. Anyway, if you want to see that photo, get to, get to artiststruggle.wordpress.com and you shall find it. It is a genuine poster from the early nineties James Madison University, unofficial feminist collective production of, I don't think we even had a name. Anyway, you, you, you will see it. It is, And some of it is in my handwriting also, so that's funny. Uh, yeah, so, so enjoy that if you, if you haven't seen it yet. It was a real show that I really made with a bunch of people, and I remember almost none of it. And except for like the really embarrassing part, which is for some reason I I put show tunes in this show, so like I sang a song from uh, I think it's called Baby, a show called Baby, and uh, we we did a I Feel Pretty, you know, where we like we're doing all the primp stuff, but like really suffering from it. If you've ever seen uh, the show Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Which is a, a very enjoyable show, actually, um, where the character is basically in a musical. She she has a a song called the "Sexy Getting Ready" song, which is basically like what we did with I, "I Feel Pretty," but she actually, you know, wrote a song, whereas we just sang a show tune. <laughs> oh boy, it was good times. Um, so ooh, there's there's the uh, the hum again. It, it stopped. Did you notice? Um, anyway, that's that was that show. and uh, if you read this book, I would love to hear what your thoughts are about it because obviously it's not a it's not bad. It just got marketed in a way that made me quite angry. Um, yeah, so let me know if you read it or if you need a copy, I, I have one. Uh, so, uh, what am I going to sing for you? Not the songs from the show. I, that is just too embarrassing. I can't even believe I told you what they were. Um, but I am, I was looking for songs about, you know, getting tricked and being, being tricky. Obvious, the obvious choice is run DMCs. It's tricky, but I, 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 I will not do that disrespect to run DMC. Uh, although I did learn, by looking it up, what the actual lyrics are. And I did not know it was, it's tricky to rock a rhyme. To rock a rhyme, that's right on time, it's tricky. But, uh, it's tricky to rock a rhyme. I literally thought it was, it's tricky to rock around. Or walk around, maybe I thought it was. I would think I thought it was rock around. It's tricky to rock around. But no, it's rock a rhyme. Ugh. I missed so much. I think if it were the internet age, I would have known. You know, because you see, like, lyrics for everything now. It's There's no mystery. But I made up my own lyrics, and it's tricky to rock around. I mean, rock a rhyme is, is much better. Good job, Run DMC. Anyway, I'm not doing it's tricky. Don't worry. Um, what I did end up learning is a song I'd never heard before because I was – there, this the there's one song with uh, about a trick uh, that I have actually in my repertoire, but I, I it's not really right thematically for this episode in any way. So I learned a George Strait song, and it was kind of fun. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I I have a I like I like uh, a, like a kind of narrow wedge of country music. And I find that the wedge is actually widening as the years go by, rather than narrowing, which is kind of nice. Um, I would never in my wildest dreams have thought I would be uh, interested in in a, a George Strait experience in any way before, but now I, I'm into it. Anyway, um, it, it's not thematically uh, right on time. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is using this kind of uh, rhetorical device, like a trick in a way. Um, and it's, and it's interesting to me because I feel like it's using the same rhetorical device that Willie Nelson uses in a song that I have already done here on the, on the, the, the broadcast. Um, I never cared for you is the, is the one that I did before. And this song has a similar kind of, um, let's call it a trick just for convenience of tying it into this particular, um, blog. Uh, so yeah, so, so it's about, uh, being fooled. So I thought I would learn it for you. So that will be with you in just a moment. Thank you so much for listening. And, um, let me know if you end up making a, more, a tricky work of art, you tricksy listeners. <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, please tell someone about it, share it, like it, review it, subscribe, all of the things. If you would like to support it with your uh, dollars, we have patreon.com slash Davis. There's also Ko-fi and PayPal. All of those links are in the show notes. Thank you for any support. Of any variety, I I I like all kinds of support, be it money, hugs, write ons, pats on the back, uh, thumbs ups, all of them. They're a plus. All of them for me. Thank you. Uh, so, without too much further yam yam, I shall give you a song popularized by George Strait and written by a man called Dean Dillon. So, you know. Uh, Here it is on ukulele. We have famous last words of a fool.
1: I told her I wouldn't miss her at all as she walked to the door. she didn't care anymore. And with tears in my eyes, I lied. I was glad we were through. As she drove First night without her would be easy, I kept telling myself. Although I'm dying at the thought of her lying.